Tonight's scripture will be taken from Psalms 63, verses 1 and 2. Psalms chapter 63, verses 1 and 2. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have, heard, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Welcome again. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for this opportunity to come together to worship God. And we're grateful that we have visitors with us. As always, we want you to know that we count you as an honored guest. And we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have. We're going to be looking at the 63rd Psalm in just a minute. As we think about King David's relationship with the Lord. And as we look at the Psalms... There are many, many great psalms that were penned, and yet some seem to have more meaning to some than others. To me personally, I think as we look at Psalm 63, we get an insight into the heart of David and his desire to maintain his relationship with the Lord. I think it's incumbent on all of us to take stock of our relationship with the Lord, to ask the question from time to time, what is my relationship with the Lord? Am I drawing closer to the Lord? Am I what the Lord would have me to be as I sojourn here on planet Earth? And so as we look at Psalm 63, I want us to just think for a minute or two about King David's relationship with the Lord. And let me just preface this by saying, as many of you know, David was a man after God's own heart. David was not flawless by any stretch of the imagination. He had his faults and shortcomings. And yet David did, I think, in many respects, have a good heart. And he enjoyed a great relationship with the Lord God. He was the greatest king over the United Kingdom, and the Bible tells us that Jesus today sits on the spiritual throne of David. It shouldn't be lost on us that the Messiah, the Christ, descended through the family of David. As we look at Psalm 63, I want to begin tonight by talking about David's thirst for the Lord. As we look at this particular point, let me begin by sharing with you his passion or closeness to the Lord. In verse 1, the text says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Note, if you would, the personal relationship that David expresses about God. He said, O God, you are my God. I said a moment ago that it's incumbent on us to take stock of our spiritual relationship with the Lord. David realized that to maintain a relationship with Almighty God was a personal thing. And there are many Psalms in which he talks about his relationship with God. For example, Psalm 23, when David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And we ought to view Almighty God as a being, a divine being, who wants to be close to us. 
His desire is to maintain a close relationship with us. In James chapter 4, verse 8, James said, Draw near to God, and the promise is he will draw near to you. David, no doubt, sought to maintain a close-knit relationship with God. But then there's a second thing as we talk about his thirst for God, and that has to do with his craving for the Lord. And as I think about his craving, first and foremost, his passion or his longing for God. Look at what he says in the latter part of verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. David here talking about his thirst for God. In Psalm 42, the psalmist in the long ago said, As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. And the picture is that of a deer running through the forest, thirsty, looking for that water brook. David here expressing his desire to draw even closer to God, his passionate longing for God. And you and I, as God's people today, we ought to have a craving to draw closer to the Lord. Now, let me ask this question. Where should we look for God? Let's think for a minute about the places to look for God. I think David here gives insight into that. He begins by talking about the place of worship. In verse 2 he said, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I think about the tabernacle of God and the fact that it signified in many respects the presence of Almighty God. And David here expresses his desire to look for God in the sanctuary. Why? To see the power and glory of Almighty God. When we come to worship, we are bowing in the presence of God. And we are, I think, reflecting on the fact that he is our creator. You remember the psalmist said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In Psalm 100, the psalmist talks about how the Lord is our maker. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. When we come together, corporately speaking, to worship God, we ought to have a similar experience to that of Isaiah. Isaiah said he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And he said the train of his robe filled the temple. One of the seraphims cried out to another and said, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, or Lord of hosts. We are in the presence of God. And as we think about drawing closer to God, worship affords us the opportunity to draw closer to God, to be in the presence of God. When we come together on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, this building is not special per se, but what makes this a special place is we are the people of God and we are in the presence of God. Similar to Exodus chapter 3 when God told Moses in the long ago to remove his sandals, he said, because the ground whereon you stand is holy ground. What made that ground holy? The presence of God. When we come together to listen to the word of God, to pray, to partake of the communion, to give of our means, to sing, we are doing or engaging in those acts 
to the glory of God. We are giving the sovereign God of the universe that which he is rightfully due. A second place to look for God would be in his word. The more time you spend in this book, the greater your faith and the closer you will become to Almighty God. David in the long ago said, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you. I think about somebody who's thirsty, who's hungry. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6? In Matthew 5, 6, we have the Beatitudes. And each of those statements builds on the other. Some have called them Pentecost pointers. But nonetheless, when you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The promise being, they shall be filled. Do we crave, do we desire to draw closer to God? If, if so, then it's demonstrated by our presence in worship, by the fact that we spend time communing with God in his word. How am I going to know about the character of God, the greatness of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, the love of God without spending time in this book? This book is a wealth of information that you and I have to spend time mining on a daily basis. We have to be like the psalmist of old who meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night. And then I would suggest that one other aspect of drawing closer to God would be through prayer. Note the numerous saints in both the Old and New Testaments that spent time in prayer to God. James said, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. James would say in chapter 5, verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You think David spent a lot of time in prayer? I think he did. And I think that those of us who belong to the family of God, we ought to spend time in prayer with him, with God. Think about it this way. God communicates to us through his word. We communicate to him through prayer. It, it, I, I mean, the bottom line is this. In order for us to maintain a relationship, it, it takes both parties. It takes God and it takes us. And then think secondly if, with me, if you would, about David's thanksgiving to the Lord. As we think about his thanksgiving to the Lord or his praise to the Lord, let me just share with you the cause of David's thanksgiving. Sometimes we ask, why was David so thankful? And many of us might ask the question, why should we be thankful? Are there things for which I should be, I should be thankful for in this life? The answer would be yes. James said, every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights. God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. But David here isolates one very important reason why he was thankful to God. As a result of his thankfulness to God, we see it's reflected in a couple of ways. But let me just note with you for a moment the cause of his thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. He said, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. David here talks about the loving kindness 
of God. And the word loving kindness here could be defined as goodness, kindness, faithfulness. Is it not the case that God has demonstrated those characteristics time and again? Think about the goodness of God. The psalmist in Psalm 100 said, For the Lord, He is good. God is good. God is not only good, but He is kind. And He wants us to be kind. I think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul talks about the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness, which He showered upon us in Jesus Christ. And so, David here is expressing his thankfulness for the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness of God. There are a lot of things that we could say about Jehovah God. One of the things that, that to me says that we are serving a gracious God is the fact that he can be trusted. He's reliable. He's faithful. Whatever he says, it will stand. Can you put your trust in God? Can you have confidence in Him? Absolutely. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 1 at verse 2 that we live in hope of life eternal which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Let that sink in for a minute. To know that what God has said about eternal life, it's true. He is faithful. He's reliable. Now, what about the consequence of David's thanksgiving. We think about the cause of his thanksgiving, but what about the consequence of his thanksgiving? What, what was the result of his thanksgiving? Well, number one, David was devoted to the Lord. Listen to what he said again in verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips, he said, shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. When we step back and pause and reflect upon the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God, and all the many blessings that, that we derive from Him, doesn't it stand to reason that we devote our lives to Him? That we consecrate ourselves to His cause? Sometimes do a study on, on the apostles the saints of the first century. And note, if you would, the devotion that they maintained to the Lord. Did they, did they always have things going their way? Was it always a smooth and e easy path? No. But here were people that were devoted to the Lord, come what may. They were willing to put their trust in God and to live for Him day in and day out. Their devotion to the Lord. This morning in Bible class, we alluded to Colossians chapter 3. At verse 3, where Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, and Paul was imprisoned at that time, said, For Christ, who is our life, that's devotion. And the sentiments expressed by Paul ought to be reflected in our own lives, that we are devoted to God, that our lives are consecrated to His service. As Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and the promise is all these things shall be added unto you. And then note, if you would, his delight in the Lord. In verse 5, he said, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. The word satisfied 
as employed by David, means to be fulfilled. It carries with it the idea of having one's feel of. There are a lot of things in this world that promise satisfaction and fulfillment, don't they? There are a lot of folks that are looking for contentment in life. The problem is they're looking in all the wrong places. There are a lot of folks that have the idea that if they have this or that or if they could just get this position or that position or if they could become this or that, that that would somehow make them content and satisfied and happy in life. David doesn't say that, does he? You remember the book of Ecclesiastes when Solomon talked about all the things that he tried in life and how he had been blessed in many, many ways? He had money and fame and power and he had everything. But he said the summation of life is fear God, keep his commandments. Why? Because he said this is man's all. He said that's what life's about. And so many times we miss that. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, could say in the long ago, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. How can we derive contentment in life? Here's what Paul said in writing to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want to live a contented life, you need to be in Christ. And you need to find contentment in the spiritual side of life. There are a lot of folks, they're looking for contentment in materialism, in money, in fleshly pursuits. And what the Bible says is, if you want to be content, you need to look to Christ. That's where it is. Thirdly, let's consider David's thoughts about the Lord. His ponderings. Look at verse 6, if you would. David said, when I remember you on my bed... I meditate on you in the night watches. It's interesting to me that David here talks about meditating on the Lord. Listen again. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in my night watches. You ever go to bed thinking about God? Thinking about spiritual things? David here is talking about thinking of God in the wee hours of the morning. And sometimes we would do well to go to bed at night thinking about spiritual things and when we arise in the morning begin by thinking about spiritual things. How can we do that? In the day by reading scripture having prayer begin the day reading scripture, having prayer. David here talks about meditating on the Lord. I mentioned a moment ago the psalmist in Psalm 1 at verse 2 when he said that he meditated on the law of the Lord and he did that both day and night. In Psalm 119, 97, the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You can't separate God and his word. The two are intertwined. There is, a, there is a correlation that exists between the God of heaven and the word that came from heaven. And David here is saying that he meditated on the Lord. Well, why did he meditate on the Lord? There are a number of reasons why we think about God and why we think about spiritual things. But let me give you two very specific reasons why David said he meditated on the Lord during the night watches. Number one, 
He said, because God had helped him. Listen to what he said. Because you have been my help. The word help here means to secure, to aid. And what, what David is saying is that God had been his aid. That God had secured him or that God had helped him. Think about your own life for a minute. Have there not been times in your life when you have been battling a storm? You've been facing some very turbulent times, difficulties and trials and tribulations. And when that storm passes and you look back, you wonder, how did I make it? How did I get through all that? Is it not the case that God was there seeing you through that storm? That God was there helping you? Standing by you. Remember the words of the Hebrew writer when the Hebrew writer affirmed on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are times in, in our lives when we can see evidence of God at work in our lives. We talk about the providential goodness of God and his care. Well, David here is talking about how God had helped him. Remember when David stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Goliath? You remember that? Here is this scrawny young fella standing in the presence of a giant of a man. Who won that battle? David did. Where was God? Right there beside him. And so, just as God helped David, slay that giant in the long ago, God can help us as we battle the quote-unquote giants of life. And let me tell you what, there are a lot of them out there. In Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 18, the Bible talks about how Christ has or was tempted and that he is able to aid those who are tempted. And the idea is that the Lord has the ability to aid us, to help us. And not just in temptation, but in many walks of life. I love the passage found in Hebrews chapter 4, at verse 16, when the writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. What's the writer saying there? God will help. You remember the words of Peter in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, when he said, Casting all your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. David here is simply expressing the fact that God had helped him. There's a second thing I want you to see. Not only had God helped him, but he said God upheld him. Look at verse 7 again. He said, when I remember you on my night watches, I meditate, or rather when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you've been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. He said, your right hand upholds me. The word upholds here means to grasp, to support, to lay hold of. And I think the picture is that of Almighty God upholding us or holding us tightly during turbulent times. Now sometimes we talk about holding a baby and how that 
gives that infant child, that baby, a sense of security, doesn't it? We wrap our arms around that child and we hold him or her. Well, God holds us, yes. But what David is saying is, God upheld me. You ever feel like giving up, throwing in the towel? You ever, you ever feel like you've been hit and knocked to the mat and you wonder if you're going to have the strength to get up and go on and move on in life? What David is saying here is that Almighty God upholds him. I don't know what you're facing in life, but I know this. If you have a strong relationship with the Lord, you can look to him for help anytime, day or night. And not only can you look to him for help, but you can expect him to uphold you, come what may. Let me tell you what. I don't see how folks make it in life without, without the Lord. There are a lot of people in this world, they try to make it on their own. They're trying to go solo. I don't know how they do it. At best, life is tough, difficult. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Let me tell you what, you can face some rugged, rugged times on planet Earth. David had his share. But David is saying in the long ago, as he thought about Almighty God, and as he reflected on the goodness, the loving kindness of God, what could he see? He could see where God had helped him and where God had upheld him. I would hope and pray that we would do everything within our power to continue growing in our relationship with the Lord. It's a two-way street. God wants a relationship with us. He's made that evident throughout Scripture. And so in order for us to have a relationship with Him, we have to do some things, don't we? We have, to, we have to take the initiative to obey Him and to live for Him and to live according to His counsel or His will. God has promised to see us through this life. And one day it would be my prayer that we'll all be together in heaven. One day we can all be together in heaven and we can reflect back on life here on earth and we can think, thank God we made it and we're here together. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you tonight to begin a relationship with God. Don't leave, don't leave here tonight without, without making the Lord a part of your life. Here's what you need to do. Do what they did in the first century. Just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. And then repent of every sin. Give up a life of sin. You're not going to be perfect. But what you're saying is, you're saying to the world, you're saying to the devil, I'm out of the sinning business. I'm giving that way of life up. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe him to be the Son of God, I know you'd be happy to, to make the good confession. And then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. 
The reason you need to be baptized is so you can enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. Paul, in recounting his conversion, said he was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord, and then be faithful till death, the promise being the crown of life. If you're here tonight and maybe for whatever reason your life has gotten off track, you're not what you ought to be and you want to be stronger, you want to try to get back in fellowship with God and his people, you want to try to get your life back where it needs to be, could we pray with you and for you? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We would be happy to do that with you tonight as we stand and sing.